0: First
1: uh, so, lesson to Duolingo.
0: Going around telling everybody to drain my balls, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty
2: awesome. So uh, it, It's a conversation opener. Really.
0: It's, a, it's a way to start a conversation, and and uh, what a way to start a conversation uh, than, uh, than with our guest here this week, Jason Beeler. Uh, Jason, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Absolutely. And, and you know, we're, we're doing audio only on this podcast, and I do got to say, you got a lovely spread of guitars, and I'm really digging that NASA cap you got there, pal.
2: Excellent. Oh, thank you very Excellent. much. And, uh, and there's a uh, slightly incapacitated sock monkey. I would like you to mention on the shelf. Back
1: then. I see that. I, I see do, that.
0: I do see a monkey that appears to be made of sock material. Is yes. There, is, that, is that a special monkey?
2: Uh, no, actually, it's just a just a. You know, I, I don't want to say I need him, but I I I, uh, I keep him close.
0: Yeah, I think you do. I, I like it. It's it adds a, ambient ambient uh, energy to the room. And there's some sort of. Spooky mask creature behind that. What's that? Uh,
2: like? Yes, I bought that from an actual headhunter. Really? Okay. In the jungles of Indonesia. I love it. So it probably has, it's probably made of partial human hair and bone. Uh, right. I, I really haven't questioned it, but I keep it over the door just in case. I'm hoping it's kind of uh, providing some kind of good uh, good mojo. <laughs>
1: it, good juju.
0: It balances the sock monkey. Now, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. Indonesia because... One of the things I like to do uh, when we have a guest on that has uh, a long career is hey I like to, now I is like that to, a way of calling <laughs> me? <laughs> no, somebody that's been in the business a long time. <laughs> I uh, I like looking in and finding interesting little time capsule moments, and then just kind of trying to reach reach back into those memories. And sure, uh, I'm doing I'm doing some some digging on you, and I find a, a video of uh, your band Saigon Kick, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the peak in Indonesia and I'm watching it and my wife is a great, um, I love to expose her to the people that we're having on the podcast because I'll, I like to play her. We have a shared passion for music. She's a very passionate music fan. She's not a musician, but she appreciates musicianship and music. And that's actually how we met was at a concert. Um, but, uh, I like to play her the stuff that, you know, is, uh, gonna be on the show and sure. to see what she thinks because it's from a different perspective and i was playing that video of saigon kick in indonesia and she's like oh wow that sounds like dream theater and i was like well yeah then you know the, the vocals i could see why you'd you know would make that connection she's like no but there's like some cool guitar and we then i pulled up you know a video from you guys on mtv and thinking yeah it was like the number one played video you know on mtv when that was like a, a big deal so i want to talk kind of about you know, Saigon kick and kind of how you came to be on the scene there. So what was that whole situation like?
2: Kind of. I mean, I think everybody thinks their story is unique, but we were from South Florida. So we weren't part of like the LA scene and we weren't part of the New York scene where like there's thousands of other bands, you know, you can go to a rehearsal place in LA and like, there's like a oh, 150 bands playing the exact same type of stuff with the same hair with because the, they were all, so we kind of, You know, South Florida's always had a weird scene. It was like us, Gloria Estefan. There was a band called Nuclear Valdez. You had Marilyn Manson, who we grew up with. Cannibal Corpse. Uh, Cannibal Corpse. You had the death metal scene out of Tampa. And then you had, obviously, out of Jacksonville, you had like Molly Hatchet and Leonard Skinner. And Tom Petty was out of Gainesville. So it was very eclectic. Like, there was never like a scene as much as there was these different bands that kind of popped. Um, So we just started, we started playing some local shows and working really hard. And it's a typical story of like 20 people showed up. Most of them we paid. Uh, Then it was 40, then it was a hundred. And over the course of about a year and a half to two years, we were doing 1500 people a night, two nights sold out at a venue called the button South uh, in South Florida. And uh, with no demo tape, we didn't really have any promo pictures or anything like that. Um, Atlantic records came down. Uh, in a kind of joint deal with Michael Douglas, the actor. And uh, Michael Wagner, who's like a legendary producer uh, of a ton of stuff from that, like Skid Row and Extreme and White Lion, and he to, he, he happened to be there. And literally we played a show that uh, Saturday night or whatever it was, went across the street to a Denny's. Uh, legendary NRA Jason Flom literally said like, well, if you guys can be in L.A. on Monday... You know, Michael Wagner has three weeks before he's starting the next skid row record, and we'll do this. And it so it kind of happened like that.
1: Nice. Yeah. That's
0: that sounds like it's literally a movie, but
1: uh yeah. Yeah. Indeed.
0: I wanna just Michael Douglas. What did what did Michael Douglas have to do with this?
2: So Michael Douglas was starting an imprint label at the time. Uh Called Third Stone. He's a massive music fan, so like Third Stone's after like a Jimi Hendrix thing, um, and uh, so it was us and Nona Gay, uh, Marvin Gaye's daughter, were the only two artists on the label, uh, and it was a joint deal with Atlantic. So like Atlantic distributed and, and functioned more as the label, and um, Michael was kind of the figurehead of the joint. Th- but it was it was really I mean, dude, it's to sit across the table from Michael Douglas and you know, <laughs> yeah, chat is kind of a cool you know. What, yeah. What,
0: what was that? What was he like?
2: He's he was awesome. You know, I mean, like, everything you'd want. I mean, I, I think he was. Uh, the I just remember two things. Like, we were having a meeting talking about a video, and Bruce Paltrow, who's Gwyneth Paltrow's father, he he had he had I think he had written like Hill Street Blues and all these kind of things. So he's in the meeting. It's Michael Douglas, and Michael comes to the you know we were twenty twenty or twenty one comes in. Do you guys want to see like a really hot chick? And we were like okay you know sure <laughs> so he brought us down to the conference room and uh sharon stone was auditioning for basic instinct oh and he's not auditioning i mean like the scene but i mean she was
1: yeah her. yeah
2: but she was there so it's kind of like i just always remember that and uh yeah but he was really cool because I, I, after we had done a couple things together and you know I, we were at some party or something and i i just went up to i was like you know it's super cool working with you, but at some point, I have to acknowledge that I am aware that you're Michael Douglas and I love, you know,
1: <laughs> it's
2: it just awkward because you don't want to be that guy who's like fanboying out. And then all the right. Of a sudden, but I felt like at the point, it, you know, and he was like, dude, it's so cool to hear that. He goes, because people, you know, in LA, that you just, they never want to say that because it just gets weird. And so I had no problem getting weird. And uh, yeah. he, he he couldn't have been cooler and nicer. And that's awesome. That's, yeah, it's it cool.
0: I, you know, somehow, that sounds like something I should have known that Michael Douglas at one point was in the music business. I, I can't believe I didn't know that. I won't hold it on you.
2: I, I just fire your researcher.
0: Yeah, I will. I will fire him. I will hold him accountable permanently. That's, uh, that's wild. So it's incredible watching that MTV, uh, interview and that performance and knowing, cause you know, when I was a kid, I'm I'm 33, so when I was a kid, you know, my memories of MTV are like Carson Daly and the various pop wave that was going on at the time. Like, it was TRL, and right. they had just started the real world and the road rules and all that shit. So, like, I, it was post-music, but at the same time, as a young metalhead, well, I didn't know what it was yet, but I got drawn into Headbangers Ball, and I would sit right. up and watch it on Friday nights. And I would see like System of a Down and Rage Against the Machine and Between the Barry to Me and like all this really heavy shit that I had no other exposure to. So I do kind of understand the concept of MTV. But for some of the, like the younger, the Every Man and the Every Woman with us here, like, can you describe what MTV meant as an artist and as like a music fan? Because ultimately, I think everyone that pursues this uh, bizarre way to make a living and very difficult way to make a living um is a fan of it otherwise you wouldn't
2: do yeah answers. i mean i i tell everybody you better love music and not being a rock star you know i mean the, 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 if you love music you can do that for the rest of your life and and really be passionate about it if you love going to the mall and being recognized you're going to have some really good days and some really bad days uh uh, MTV was, I mean, it, it, we were such a strange band When we started, the records are I don't know how familiar are with the records But they're pretty diverse So we toured with, in, in the early days Like uh, Soundgarden, we toured with the Ramones We played with Faith No More We actually played with Rage Against the Machine At the Limelight in New York Early, before they exploded And um, we were a pretty diverse band So we had ballads and stuff on the first record And kind of a real wacky amalgamation of kind of music I was always a fan of music I was never a metal head. I loved metal, but I wasn't, I like, I could never just focus. Like I love, I love like, even to this day, man, I love Lizzo, Tom Waits, Bjork, you know, Metallica, Rush, Meshuggah. I mean, I just love music. If it's good Miles Davis. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. That's like, it, I think Miles Davis said there's two types of music good and the other kind. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Um, So going into that second record was a really weird time because not that we really had changed much, but the music energy was going through a seismic shift. So when we had a, and it wasn't even the the single, the ballad wasn't even intended to be released. We were in Mexico shooting a video uh, with the direct, a guy who directed Jane's Addiction's uh, gift documentary. And we got a call from the label that said, you know, the station in Florida started playing one of these songs and it's exploded. So it was kind of a double-edged sword because like that was the wrong time to have that song be a hit. I'm so thankful it was, and I'm not like complaining. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't think we were cooler than that or anything like that, but just because we were too stupid to realize like Pantera saw the shift coming they were a full on glam band no disrespect to them they were you know but they they kind of went full on metal a little bit before yep. the whole shift happened alice in chains was a glam band full hair done up and everything like that and they saw it happening and we were just kind of like oh we'll tour with the ramones of course oh we'll tour with Cheap Trick yeah rat awesome and we just went so we didn't really realize what was happening so the second that ballad became a hit it was like all the hair metal bands always hated us so, we were never really part of that scene. And then, as soon as we had a ballad success, like none of the new grunge bands would have anything to do with us. You know what I mean? It was like a weird kind of going right between two seismic, the death of hair metal and the birth of grunge. And we kind of managed to not be a part of either one of them. Um, and, um, but it, I mean, MTV was so hugely powerful. I mean, it would change things. You know, I don't know that there's anything that can do that that way anymore because, you know, when we were younger, we all watched the same couple of shows. Like you went to school and you talked to your buddies about this or that. Now everyone's watching a billion different things. So yeah. but like, you know, everybody watched MTV. So if you had a number one video on MTV,
0: everyone knew what it was,
2: everybody <laughs> yeah. that was a music fan, whether they liked it or not, but everybody knew what you were talking about. I mean, it was like, that's the, you know, that's that. So there's a, uh, yeah, but it, was, it was, it was a good and bad time.
0: If that makes sense No it does And I think that's really interesting Because you're talking about That grunge That that moment in time You know And I think a lot of people Looking back at that period There's a couple bands that made it out That were hugely mainstream Successful Like Pearl Jam And Alice in Chains um, Nirvana obviously
2: Soundgarden, Soundgarden Yeah yep,
0: Another one There was a lot of bands that that made it through that, but there was a whole bunch of bands that just got like kind of caught up in a storm. And there's bands that had like identity crisis at that period of time where it's like, what the fuck am I listening to? Like they're like, you know, like you said, should we just try and do this? Are we going to shift? Do we have the ability to shift? Because I think a lot of bands, like that's the thing about Pantera that's so incredible to me because I'm a huge Pantera fan and uh the difference in the the music is stark and it's but they're so skilled and they there's it was authentic to them like it was yeah, just yeah, for turned sure. up it, did, it didn't sound like they were all of a sudden trying to be a different different band and i think you see that now with a lot of artists because the business is so changed where on like you know flip of a coin it's completely different uh Sound.
2: We didn't change. I mean, I think there's a couple of bands that I always kind of group us with, uh, and their friends. I mean, so we toured a lot with Extreme. And Extreme was a band that had the same thing. They had more than words, massive hit. Every mom in the car school line was listening to that. And then they bought their record porno graffiti and we're like, What right the hell is going on? Um, and King's X, I think to a certain extent, kind of was between, you know, they weren't really a grunge band and they weren't really a hair metal band. Um, so there's a few of us that got stuck. But I mean, the funny thing is, I think the things that made us odd then uh, have kind of made those those records have a, a little bit longer of a shelf life now. And it's 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 funny. I mean, I think people go back to those records. And I'm constantly getting, you know, Corey Taylor from Slipknot or, you know, Chris Kale from Five Finger Death like, dude, I was such a, you know, and it's really nice to kind of see that, you know, it, it, it's coming back around, rounder. you know, that people kind of got what we did on a on a more full scale, you know. So it's, um, yeah. But, I mean, it's you know, it's good. I can't complain. I mean, I haven't worked a day in my life since I was eighteen years old. I've been a musician. I am I am not going to be sitting here going, there should have been more pop." You know, it's like that. Who the hell wants to hear that? Well,
0: I think also a band like like Saigon Kick benefits from streaming because people now, like you said, they like a lot of different shit and have different things and there's somebody out there that's like i want all power ballads i want an eight hour playlist of power ballads or whatever you know and like that's they'll come across
2: well the, the cooler thing i think about music now is that you know talking about the young people is that like my son doesn't care Like, when I was a kid, like, there was a metal table at lunch. Right, yeah. And there was a new wave table at lunch, and there was a hip-hop table. And no one, you were just, that was your whole culture of what you talked about, what you were into. Now, like, my son will listen to Meshuga, into Rihanna, into Skrillex, into Metallica, into ACDC. And I think most kids are like that. They don't, they just want good tunes. Yeah. It's like, the Stones are every bit as cool to, you know, 18 19 20 21 year old kids as you know something you know as post malone is like keith richards is just as much a rock star to most people now he's not like when i was a kid you could never listen to your parents music right regardless of whether it was good or not it was just never going to be cool now kids and parents And now people don't get pink floyd's as cool as they ever were mm-hmm. and that's a good thing
0: you you've mentioned the magic word twice now and i, I have to follow up on it there is not as many bands as I love. You know, I mentioned Dream Theater, Between the Barrier and Me. There's so many bands that I love. There is not another musical entity that makes me happier on a, on a primal, cellular level than Meshuggah. Okay. They, ha, have you, I'm sure you've seen them live.
2: I am going to disappoint you and say I have not seen them live, but I have good friends that just saw them in yeah. Atlanta. Who are great, like actually jazz musicians, like underground jazz, who said it was the closest thing to a religious experience yeah. they've ever had. It's
0: fucking wild. You you have to go to it. It's it's the closest thing. I I always describe it as like I don't know. You've seen the Matrix movies? Familiar with yeah, the Matrix? Yeah. You know, like in the I guess it's the second one, Morpheus like is like rallies the the people of the underground, and they're in the cave, and they have that like big like rave,
1: like Babylonian orgy. rave, yeah, Babylonian
0: <laughs> orgy rave. That's kind of like what a Meshuggah's show is like, but it's all mostly dudes, um, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with, but there's a lot. Yeah, of- but you know,
2: there's so many bands that try to do that. I mean, they, I, 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 I had a label for a long time with a band called, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but if you're into that scene, there's a band called Sixth out of the yeah. U- UK. Sixth, well, yeah. I, Sixth. I, I, I released their second record and pre- worked with them on that. Um. So, like, Meshuga and those guys were like way ahead of the game. Yeah. Well, like, now in, whole, in terms of, it's a whole industry. Now it's a whole genre is grown out of it. Mm-hmm. But to me, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's like any other genre. It's like there's the pioneers that invent it, and then there's everybody else trying to keep up.
0: They're just and, uh, so good, though.
2: They're, yeah, they're, and it, they're untouchable.
0: And it's funny because, like, I've, you know, Daryl, who's NFL background and is a producer at NFL Films and is one of the most talented. Artists and hardworking men I've ever had the pleasure to know. I share with him a lot of wild ass music, and and I, I it always comes back to Meshuga. And it's funny because regardless of genre, and it's almost like I'm I'm doing a project someday I'm going to edit it all together. But everyone I talk to from every level, the from like the most respected drummers to people you, like just anyone off the street everyone universally loves and uh, and admires meshuga it's it's crazy like there's not more oh, yeah. there's no other metal band or band i don't think there's another band in general that i'm aware of that you could get universal and be like nope they're the fucking best like
2: i think like, you nailed it when you said there's something primal that happens whether you even understand the genre there's something like seismic about them there's something just it, it just feels uh, and I don't mean in the sense of the music. There's a heaviness to what they're doing. It's and, and um, it's it's
0: weird because you start like really thinking about it, and you're like, "Am I crazy?" You know. But it's like I think I, this is unlocking something in people that is. It's it's, it's funny because
2: I I, uh, I work with this drummer a lot, Jonathan Mover, uh, who played with like Steve Vai. He played on Joe Satriani's albums. Played with Aretha Franklin, Mick Jagger. He's, he's a monster polyrhythm drummer. Like, just I mean, insane. Like one of the best. And uh, he was explaining to me because I could never figure out. I'm like, what time signature is that even in? And like the majority of what they do is actually in four. Right. That's what's fucked up. About. That's what's so weird. Like, yeah, but their riffs, instead of writing a riff, that's like a bar long. They're
0: three pages. They're long. 40 bars long before the riff cycles. And that's like, it's funny because my wife, again, the one band she didn't, we didn't have in common. She just didn't get Meshuggah for more than half our relationship. She just didn't get it. And she would be like, I don't know, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I'm like, no, no, you just gotta give it time and then it clicks. And then one day she came I came home and she's listening to me. sugar. She's like, I get it. I get it. And it clicked with her. And I was explaining her, I was like, Yeah, like you can take catch thirty three, that that's an album. And Daryl, it's a fucking full length album. And the riff doesn't come back in until like the ninth song, twenty nine minutes into it. And when it does, it's like you basically shit your pants because you're like this. Is actually the heaviest thing I've ever heard in my life, Mm -hmm. and like somehow they do that. Like you said, it's all everything is in four, but the the guitar is playing a riff that's like forty five minutes long. It doesn't repeat, and then and then it repeats, and you're like, ah, I should have seen that coming. It's
2: it's (laughs) it's
0: incredible. They're pretty epic, man. Pretty epic. Now you're talking about drummers. I wanted to mention uh, something. You know, it's a perfect segue. Again, thank you for doing my job for me, Jason. Uh, Hey, I'm I'm here for I'm a I'm a drummer myself, and uh, I'm a I'm a you know I'm a fan of the game, a student of the game, and one of the things that immediately caught my attention uh, was that you know you were working with Marco Miniman on uh, Postcards from the Asylum. Now, Daryl, Marco Miniman is just a and Jason will get into it, but just an absolute badass. He's actually one of the gentlemen that auditioned for Dream Theater when. Mike Portnoy left, and that our boy Mike Mangini ended up getting the mm-hmm. spot there. But Marco Miniman is, and we've talked with Mike Mangini is a friend of the show. We love that that guy. He's a yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, he's awesome. Guy. Just blew my mind. So what's capable on a drum set? Getting to watch him, you know, up close. It's it's like he's another person that you're like, are you sure you're, we're on the same, you know, what I human. Mean?
2: Are we, are we no, Mar- Marco's Marco's not of this world. No, that's I mean, what I mean. And they were
0: of, they were right there, and there was just like there was a lo- some people wanted Marco, some people wanted Jeannie, Man- Man- but it was like that you can't go wrong. So Marco's a badass. So what is it like working with with Marco?
2: I mean, we met uh, a couple months earlier. Uh, I was doing something out in Los Angeles, and he was just a nice. And I'm a fan of like the aristocrat stuff he does with Guthrie Govan. You know, just the guy's just a monster musician. And we were talking and he was talking about, you know, he was doing some stuff with the Black, uh, with the Zappa band. He was doing the Black Page by Frank Zappa, which is like this. Anybody who's in music, like who studies music, the the Black Page is like, it's called that because all the dots are so close together. You can't even see like the page. It's Mm -hmm. just insane. And he was just transcribing it all out and playing it off sheet, like just so. And flawlessly. So I was saying, man, we gotta work today. He was like, I'd love to. And I was like, You gotta be kidding me. Like, that's awesome. And uh I didn't think so the one yes. is, Yeah. So the <laughs> yeah. one the one track on the record is called Flying Monkeys that he plays on. And uh, you know, it 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 was kind of it's it's out of control, Zappa esque. I don't compare myself to Zappa in any way, shape, or form, but it's got that sensibility, hopefully. Uh so I sent it to Marco and it was just one of those great things because you know, normally when you're creating a record, or you're doing music, you're like, you're, you're trying to put up guidelines and you're like, you know, OK, you know, play to the song or do this. And to him, I said, just lose complete control. Now, like let me, do let me, anything you can think of.
0: Let me ask you real quick. Are you are you programming drums and sending a complete track to him? Are you sending him? No, no. no guitar, he, he, guitar I had to the riff. With?
2: I had the riff and all the song basically done for him. And I just had a basic idea of a drum loop that worked in, in that time signature, but it wasn't anything what he did. So I sent him, I think when I sent it to him, I just sent him the completed song with no drums and a click and told him, do whatever you hear. So, I mean, hearing him kind of build that from like the first verse to the second verse to the as he keeps going and going and going, it's just what a monster drummer! I mean, just you know, it's just fun. It's a, when you hear him play on that track. Drummers should should be smiling.
0: And he's he's one of those guys that's like, I, again, I'm a I'm a metal guy. I love metal music, but I also am. I was kind of like raised by gospel drumming, and I, I have like a a broad taste as a drummer. And there's some there's a lot of metal drummers that get pigeonholed and just never are able to get out of that genre and are never trusted to handle anything else with any other respectable musicians. It's almost like a, like a, the kiss of death, you know, to be a, right. a session metal drummer. And like he just completely transcended that and has yeah. worked with so many amazing artists. Cause, and he's, he's a kind of guy that's like, I mean, he can literally do the most guttural death metal drumming, you know, stuff that you would, not, yeah, there, there, there's not
2: much he can't do that I can think of off the top of my head, and, and I mean the thing I've I've been really blessed to work with some amazing drummers, and it really all I mean the coolest thing about it is his groove, right? It's the, all the all the high end stuff is is fun, and it's amazing to see technically, but at the end of the day, the drummer thing to me is like whether it's you know I mean it goes to ACDC, like everyone always jokes about ACDC, but
0: I've yet to see a drummer be able to play this. It never sounds like that.
2: And you know, you know that,
0: I'll, I'll second that because I, I did a stint with a, with a band, did some covers, and we were playing some big shows. And one of the tracks was an ACDC song. And I remember looking at the sheet up, up front and being like, oh, this will be fucking no problem. And then I had to actually play it. And I'm like, fuck, this is like, this is a, a serious groove the whole way. And there's a four minute guitar improv in there. And you're just going on for 11 minutes. It's not shit's not easy.
2: None. It's, but it's also the pocket. I mean, that's why there's a billion bands and they play an ACDC covers and no one ever sounds like ACDC. Right. I mean that, that band, that, that pocket, same thing with, you know, Bonham and all these legends. We can go down the road. There's something about that person's interpretation of time, the feel that's, that's, you know, the rest of it's great. I mean, it's, it's, but it's something about that either you, you have this kind of internal magic that happens to me is, it, you know, or you don't.
0: Well, it's like, you know, again, to, to the things that tie into a bow there, Thomas Hawk from a sugar, the way he interprets the backbeat is mill. I mean, he's, he is literally manipulating time at a granular level, like with like individual grains of sand on the beach. He's building a sandcastle, this guy, and he's, he's shifting meter, like by milliseconds. And it, hit your soul. You know, somebody like Dimebag, rest in peace, who tuned all, had, he had a special way of making all his guitars slightly out of tune so that by the time he's pulling on the strings and bending, it's like perfectly in tune. So like you can't, you can show, (laughs) there's a lot of videos of people trying to tell you how to play Cowboys from hell, but there's like one guy that knows, no dime me specifically how he did this. And it was in his hands and it was this, like the, you can get close, but no one's going to play it like he did. That's the magic of music, man. I mean, I was doing
2: some, I did some guitarist show or uh, convention or whatever. I was there and head from corn was there. And, player. you know, we've, we've all gone into a guitar center, you know, against our will probably, but we've gone in there and you just hear every guy playing riff, attitude. Every riff, riff. Riff. Yeah. And, you know, you always hear some kid was play, especially 10 years ago, you'd always hear some kid playing the corn riffs, you know, like bad. Yeah. And I, as, as soon as head started playing the corn riff, you're like, Oh, that's the guy that does that. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. that's well, the guy that sounds like that guy. And, uh, <laughs> That's what's true about all kinds. and I think that's that's the, the great unifier of a great musician is just like there's an individual you know you can talk about Jeff Beck as a guitar player or Eddie Van Halen or any of these guys I mean it's not just the 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 flash it's just there's something about the feel and the and the time and the groove that those those guys lay down that that's what separates I mean you might see the flash initially but you know again everyone always talks about Eddie Van Halen and every and rightly so But his rhythm playing is off the charts insane. Like no one ever really talks about those grooves, like how he lays those pockets down. It's like, it's like, that's the stuff to me that, you know, that's, that's what it's all about for me.
0: I I think so much of, and you know, I've dabbled in guitar over the years. I, I wouldn't consider myself a guitarist, but I own one. Um, it's so much of it is in the hands and i've i've been lucky enough to again things that, that i love about this podcast is connect with some of the you know some of the best out there and get to see them either rehearsing or practicing or somewhere like off cuz i've seen i've seen everybody on the side of the stage you know and i've seen i've heard everybody's mix and like i know i know how they sound on a stage and it's like to hear them pick up a guitar off the wall and right there, play it, and you're like, "Fuck, you sound that's you." Like, or somebody, I remember uh, shout out to our, our boy Dusty. Uh, he plugged into one of those little Yamaha two and a half watt, looks like a little toaster. You know, what I'm talking about that yeah. little. It's this little desktop speaker, Daryl, and it's like a tiny little piece of shit. I mean, it sounds okay, but it's like it's like 150 bucks. Like, it's as cheap as you could possibly get. Dusty plugs into this thing, and he just and he just like flicks the one stock amp setting, and it's like Jesus. That's it, right there. There it is. That's the magic.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that's true of everybody. I mean, you know, whether it's Zach Wild, who I, you right. know, we did some shows with, and um, it's frustrating because, like, I, I think he's, all of us talk so, around.
0: Somehow, he's underappreciated, in my opinion.
2: I, I man, when he's on, there's he's about as formidable as it gets. You know, uh, I love him because. He's one of those guys that doesn't play it by the book. So, he's a character. He's like a wild and game. and Jeff Beck was the same way. Like you could have tapes of Jeff Beck where you'd be like, eh, "He's good, but I don't get it." And then you get another thing of him and you're like, "This guy is not from the plat. I mean, it, it's, a, it's untouchable." I'll tell you. And what that, those are guys who are always playing to the moment and not overly like everything's not exactly thought out. And they're going to take risks and they're going to push. So some nights you're going to get great and other nights you're going to transcend all things because they're just always at that edge and Zach's one of those guys. But yeah, it's frustrating. No matter what gear you buy, it's amazing how much you wind up sounding like you. Yeah. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter.
0: I, uh, I'll tell you about Zach wild. I saw him do Zach play Zach Sabbath with, oh, yeah. with, uh, his, his band at Nan years ago. And it was like a special, like private thing. And, uh, we were like, holy shit, like, this is spiritual, like, this guy, like, he was, it was on fire, and it was, like, I mean, on levels of the best guitarist I've ever seen, and you're like, holy shit, but then you see, like, I know what you mean, like, sometimes you're like, the the Pantera run, again, I'm a huge Pantera fan, I'm curious how this is going to shake out, I don't personally have any problem, I don't see what, how anyone could have any issue with them, going out and playing this music and in the way that they're doing it, they're, they're making so much money for those gentlemen's families and they're honoring the music and it's going to turn Pantera into, you know, when you go into JC Penney's and like you said, there's the, they have ACDC shirt, the Rolling Stones, two bands we mentioned before now, guns and roses is in that, that random rock pile. T-shirt Pantera is going to end up just like Metallica and Slayer is uh, you know at Hot Topic and Spencers and J C Penney and all that bullshit, Pantera is going to be one of those bands that is like accepted into the legacy
2: of culture by doing you know, this tour. I don't. I don't, I don't know Charlie, but I know. I don't think there's a bigger dime bag fan on earth than Zach. No. And uh, I think uh, you know it's a real easy problem to fix. Don't go if you don't want to go. Hundred percent.
0: I don't know why it's, it's, that's just a, it's a, that's a time change, but, but anyway, yeah, some of the shows with, with Pantera, you're like, uh, ah, but he's doing his own thing and it's like, that's what you want. Like, he's not going to be dime bag. He, he loved that guy. He could, he could do it note for note, but he's doing it his own way. And like, Charlie is just fucking killing it and just doing it literally. I mean, you close your eyes. It sounds like Vinnie Paul. It's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. More power to yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Now I want I want to talk a little bit more about the album because one of the things you know we were talking a little bit before we started rolling here, uh, postcards for the asylum from the asylum, which is out everywhere this Friday, uh, April fourteenth, and um, I've had some time with the record and I'm a so like my my dad is a musician of the '70s and, and late '60s and loved yes, and kind of instilled the, the love of progressive music upon me from an early age. So I kind of have this background of like, yes, and Genesis and King Crimson and, and Rush, like you mentioned. And, and then also like, then it gets to certain points like Dream Theater and BT Bam and Meshuggah. Like, I love all this heavy shit. I love thrash metal. There's, I love, there's a lot of different things that I personally enjoy. And um, when I'm listening to your, your album here, Postcards from the Asylum, it's like it, it sounds familiar, but there's this aspect of it that I can't quite put my finger on. I'm still trying to figure out of like, is it, what exactly, but I can't figure out what it is. And the closest thing that I can I can come up to after spending some time with this record is it's like, it's kind of got the Devon Townsend lightheartedness where like in music, there's this problem, especially metal or music that is like heavy or technical. There's this thing where like, Every progressive music has to be a, a a four album concept album about intergalactic space geopolitics, and you know what I mean. Like it has to be this fucking saga of.
2: There, there's a little Dungeons and Dragons in the prog world, uh, if we're not, you know.
0: And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because I'm a fan of that. Love but D&D. Like, Exactly, Daryl's a big uh, dragon slayer himself, but 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 my point is like sometimes it's too fucking serious and. And not only that, you have this other issue where it's like you do anything remotely, I don't, even want, I don't want to use the word silly in a disrespectful way, but something that's lighthearted and, and fun. Let's just say fun. Like, Primus is fun. They're a fun band. No one would accuse Les Claypool of being a quote-unquote serious musician, but he's a bad motherfucker when it, when it comes oh, yeah. to like, and No one will argue that. Like, everybody knows he rules, but like, he's not uptight and like, by the book. Your music has this funness to it that's like it it's music, and it's just trying to be music. It's not trying to be like a comic book or a movie or a statement. you know there was some, there was a sense of like I, I always listen to music like working at a desk, in my headphones, doing something else, and then like driving because I, I feel like actively listening to something is one experience, but then like driving and listening to music is a different experience. And it's like a great album to put on and drive to the beach, you know? And it's like, and you can focus on the lyrics and the lyrics are fun. They're not like, and and again, it's there. There's a a lightheartedness. uh, Not again, I I don't know what else to say, but silly, but in a good way, like it's just fun. And I, I mean, that's what I really took away from this album is that the playing is fucking great. Number one, that the production is outstanding it's crisp it's clean there's a variety of tones and effects like it's it's fresh and then it's fun to listen to it doesn't feel like a chore or feel like wait a minute i got to go back and like pick up the the building blocks from track two to track
2: eight so i enjoy i mean i i I wanted it to well that's awesome i mean thanks first of all and i mean you know i i am a i am a child of the python school of absurdity you know what i mean like I, i i i i i uh you know, I, I want the, you know, the lyrics to me focus, you know, it, it, it's as deep. I wanted the record to focus on the, uh, the kind of the world is, like you said, some of the world is going to listen to this record in a passive sense. And I wanted the songs to function like that. I didn't want to make a record where you had to have like a, a, a slide chart and a, and a, and be following along. And like, you know, Oh, I lost the plot. I gotta go. Like you said, I didn't want it to be a task, but I wanted to make a record for those people who do want to open up a double vinyl record, go through all the lyrics and have the headphones on and really immerse themselves in it. I wanted that experience to be there too. It was important for me to, for the record to function on two levels. So I take no problem with people just listening to a tune and jamming, and having a good time and not going down the rabbit hole. Like there's not an obligation to do that, but I wanted to make sure that if someone wants to go under the hood there's there's stuff there, and there's you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm more of an absurdist than a purist. I mean, I just love putting things against each other, whether it's a beautiful melody versus a horrifyingly, you know, weird lyric, or it, I, I just like I just like my world is very Salvador Dali meets Edgar Allan Poe meets the Beatles and Queen and all these kind of weird things floating around in my head. So um, I think you kind of nailed it.
1: I got uh thank you. I got something just because um had a long day of work today. been here since about five, six in the morning. And um probably once this pot is over, I'll be here another three or four hours, right? <laughs> and you know how it is, just we, we fucking just clip it and drip it, man. It's just just working, right? And part of my job duties is I'm a hiring manager for NFL Films, so I get a chance to you kind of onboard the young bucks, you know, the ones that want to be a part of that less than 1% to make it in here and then actually become a storyteller and, and uh, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of have all of their um, creative juices flow onto something that's going to live archival forever past when I'm gone and out of this bitch. Right. So one of the hardest things, right. When we're hiring people, hiring young kids, right? Because some of them are nervous. Some of them don't know who they are. Some, some of them are, you know, like searching for us to kind of help them figure that whole thing out. And the thing is, sometimes you get kids that just tune themselves to the idea of what it is that I want to hear. And they're just not themselves. right? Right. And it's like, and you hear it and you just like throw it away. Like you, you literally just went past that first mind, that core thought, that thematic of who it is that you are. And you just, you, you put that shit on a sheet and you're just reading to it and you're not, you're not showing me anything and I'm going to have to press back. Now, you go through this about 30, 40 times in a day. You know what? The ones that really are who they are stick out like a sore thumb and those are the ones you end up probably hiring, right? Yeah. To me, this record is exactly what you wanted it to be. It is truly authentic to itself. You are truly authentic to who you are. And that shit cuts through like a knife when I listen to it. And it makes me pull out my piece of paper and it makes me write down the notes and it makes me get all fucking. I feel that spinal thing in the back of my neck. And I'm like, that's awesome. Fucking number three heathens, number seven sick riff, thirteen bear sedatives, which is fun and fucking awesome in my office, laughing, best part of my damn day. You know what I'm saying? And then you got number fifteen human head, which like makes me go back and say like, whoa.
2: You you and my wife both. She she wanted me to sleep in another room for a long time after that song.
1: Like, like really whoa, like. Pull out, and I'm just like, you get to the second, like that second version, and it's, I had a human soul. I put it up for sale. I cut it into parts and placed it in the mail. I had the greatest love. The, the 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 I think it's the bolts were wide and strong. I keep it buried near in case you ever come. Like, that shit hit me, like, in the fucking chest, man. Oh. And, like, the reason it hit me like a fucking chest is because in this business, we're all about moments, right? That made me think about You know, my fucking first love in high school and how that whole shit went. And then my breakup in college and then fucking having to, you know, go into therapy and almost losing my fucking scholarship. And you know what I'm saying? Like playing at Notre Dame and then like, you know, having people pour into me to come back. And then like, I'm like, this is fucking music, man.
2: Well, man, I can't. This
1: is fucking music. And I'm just like, you know, like, and you know, not to go off on a tangent, but like the core of who it is that you are as a musician, I fucking see you, man, and I appreciate you because that's what it's all about, man. man that's man. really what it's all about. Like I, we talk about my sugar, we talk about ACDC, we talk we talk about those groups that are who they are, and no matter who else plays them, they won't sound the fucking same. Right? Somebody's gonna try to play this record they're going to try to play like you they're going to try to write like you and they won't be able to fucking do it because you're in that category man i'm not gassing. i'm just i'm just telling you where i went when i was listening to your record you know what i'm saying and i i want to stay there because that is 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 what is going this is what going to be we're going to get off this podcast and i'm going to throw you back on so i can get through the rest of my fucking day because the best shit that's like singing to me right now you know what I'm saying and yeah. th- like that's that's what it's all about really I mean
2: that, that, that's, that I gotta tell you man that's one of the nicest things anybody's ever said uh, and, I, and I really appreciate it I mean I think you touched on a key thing though like and and I think maybe it comes with age you know like you get to a point where not only do you kind of know who you are yeah, you can get to that freedom of like I, I don't need anybody to like me. Dude. Not that not that I, I like people Dude. and I want people to but you're not in that mind space anymore when you're in your twenties and you're finding out who you are and you're in your thirties and you does this person what do they think of me? Now you're like, I'm here. Yeah. You know, we can sit down and have a conversation or not, whatever's good for you is like Straight. and just you know, you can you can kind of walk out of the room and be like, you know, I, I know what I did. I I I, ma- I make what I make, I do what I do and I'm fully fine with if if nobody gets it yeah it's fine you know yeah. you, but i think that comes with age I, I mean i wish i could say i was like that at 20 i think we're all a little bit more like what's he doing how did he get there why has he got that, right. out that? and i think you're in that part so i mean that's the thing I, i'm friends with a ton of guys that play in the uh, nhl
1: yeah
2: uh you know and the one thing i always razz him about is like you know dude you, you know your, your time's short
1: dude yeah
2: your time, you know, as yeah. a musician, the one good thing I have and I, I uh, is that I feel I can keep getting better. Absolutely. You know, but a, Absolutely. as a professional NHL player, you know, what, 35?
1: Okay. you not
2: longer. 40 if you're like one in a million, like, you know, Jager, one of these freaks on it. But, you know, some of my favorite musicians just hit their stride in their 50s and 60s. I mean, and I don't mean commercial success. I mean, that that may or may never happen on that scale. And that's a different thing. But I mean... Mushuga, just to bring them up as a unifying part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, there, like, there's nothing stopping them. They're
0: only. Yeah. Gonna there's no get reason better. why
2: they can't keep getting better, and not necessarily bigger or more popular, but better. Right. And right. That's a cool place to. I think that's the cool thing about music.
1: Yeah, it's it's like, you know, JJ Watt retires, right? But that period of, I don't know, six or seven years where he was the best defensive lineman in in the league, right, where he was vibrating at a level nobody can ever get to, will ever get to, right? You got the Aaron Donalds and stuff like that, but they're in their hole, they're in a the hole, that's the 1% of the 1%, right? It's the same situation like I feel like I'm with this record, like yeah, if you're a defensive lineman, if you're an athlete in any league, right, you just, it's, your shelf life is so, only but so long, right? No matter right. what's 10, 15, 12, whatever, right? It's only so long, and then people might, the only people who will remember you, people in your close knit circle, or like if you have a chance to get to the hall of fame, whatever that is, but not to beat that, like music is timeless. And when it's done the right way, like this, you know what I mean? Like this, this is the stuff that like tomorrow when I come in, when I was listening to this during the day and I had a couple of producers stop by there, like, yo, who the fuck are you listening to? And I'm just like, you're bothering me. Go away. You know what I mean? Because, Dude, it's it's gonna be like that, and I'll tell them about it tomorrow. You know what I mean? But like, I was in the zone, and I was just, I was, I was where where you were when you were playing this, and you were, you were. I was trying to. I'm like, I just want to stay right here, just right here, man. Like, you know, like, and that's that to me. That that's the difference between waking up this morning, getting up. You know, 4 a.m., going to the gym, coming back to going to work, knowing I got all these meetings throughout the day. And I'm just like, man, like I just, at some point, some portion of this day, I just hope I can get to the sweet spot and I can just, I, I could just know like things will be kind of better and easier. And then it's just like, fucking play the right thing. And then you're like, you're just going, man. You're just humming. And then the shit just gets easy. And then, like you're saying, like when you're older, you're like, you're like, Fuck everything else, bro. This is it. <laughs> like I'm just gonna ride this, man. And that's the wave that got me to this podcast. And I was like, I couldn't wait to talk to you to just to let oh, you man. know these. This this should help me get through the day, man. Like my 60, 70, 80 hour of work week. Like I know I had a good fucking power two, three hours where I just rode that fucking wave and I got through it, man. Like it's.
2: Man, uh, it, thank
1: you, man. That's, thank
2: you, man. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's like the, one of the nice. Seriously, I mean, I, I'm not saying that like to be you know. I mean, that's seriously one of the nicest things. And that, I mean, especially in this day, I have I'm fortunate to have a studio, but a lot of this record, I you know, I make by myself. Right. Yeah. So until I get to this point, like the you know, you're your never sure. Theory. You know, you're never sure what you actually did. You know, like it, do, do, is anybody going to understand this? Not again, like not that. You, but you just you hope. Yeah. That, it resonates. They'll you know, get it.
1: I'm a giant toddler, too. So, like, <laughs> when it comes to, like, having fun, like, when my bro, when Jay was saying, like, this record is fun. So, I'm, like, sitting up in here, and I just I went through an interview, and this kid, I'm just, God, man, like, you don't even know our fucking programming. Why are you in a hundred billion years ago? The pressure killed the dinosaur. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, let's go. Like, it's just so fun, man. It just... Man, it just keeps you it keeps you keeps you right where you're supposed to be, man. Like Thanks, that's and that's the, cool, man. The, the
0: thing that I and again, you know, postcards from the asylum, every man and every woman, check it out. It's everywhere. Please It's available. Oh man, thank you. This Friday, uh, perfect timing after this podcast. I know you can go in and pre save it. I've already pre saved. Um I'm ready to go. I've pre ordered it. Um the The cool thing about the album is, again, if you're, I'm not trying to compare it to anything because it, it was really difficult to like. This is the cool thing about when Daryl and I review music is I I really focus on like the structural music component of it, and Daryl gets spiritual with it, and it's it's he always <laughs> provides the <laughs> best the best reviews of of records, um, and I, I always love hearing it, uh, and I always tell him, don't tell me what you think, we'll save it for the pod. Um, but postcards from the asylum this Friday, everywhere music is available. Um, the thing I draw a connection to is like, if you're a fan of Devin Townsend, if you're a fan of Allison Chains, if you're a fan of Frank Zappa, cause I'm a huge, when I was dude, when I was like 15, I got a copy of Frank Zappa live in New York, 1978. And it's like, the dude's got a song called titties and beer. And it's an eight minute song with all this instrumental breakdowns about titties and beer. And I'm 15 years old. What do you think I'm going to fucking take away from this? You know what I mean? (laughs) And like cruising for burgers, shit like that. Like I, I love, there's something about Frank Zappa where you listen to it and it's like the musicianship gets your little music lizard brain hooked. And then he's talking about titties and stuff. And you're like, ha ha ha. You know what I mean? And like, there's this funness nature of it that kind of reminds me of like, because you have that both things like Daryl's talking about with the lyrics. And the music, is it? has got that Zappa, Devin Townsend, but then also there's moments like that are just beautiful, you know, and 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 different. So um, it is cool to see that you. I didn't realize that you had done you know so much of it on your own, and um, it's 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 awesome, and I, I I can't wait to see what. Everyone else thinks of the record. I'm hoping
2: for time. that Jamie Lee Curtis at the Oscars moment, you know, where the old Hell yeah. guy gets their moment.
1: you know, like, yeah, this is, are are. <laughs> this is
2: it. Well, at the very least,
0: you know, you've made the boys on this podcast very happy. Um, hey, man, thanks and, so much, man. You've Seriously. Created, you've created
2: man, new fans. I mean, coming from you guys, that means a lot, man. And especially, you know, feeling a little bit of passion does the soul good. You know, we yeah, live know in a world yeah, now man. where everything's on a Zoom call and you're just like,
1: dude.
0: Well,
2: Jesus.
0: And, and also I think, again, not to toot our own horn here, but I think the cool thing about this podcast is Daryl and I love each other, number one, and we had great conversations Damn right. without being recorded. And we realized like, hey, you know what? We're having interesting conversations that we think could enlighten people's lives a little bit and maybe bring a smile to their face. And we also happen to be blessed that we know – a lot of Daryl knows a lot of professional athletes. I know a lot of musicians. I have a lot of connections in that world. And he has a lot of connections in that world. we put it all together and we meet people like yourself who it's like, you weren't necessarily on our path directly. You know what I mean? Right. And then some way, I don't even know at this point, you know, I'm, I'm communicating with Roy, who's awesome. And is always,
1: mm-hmm. every
0: single person that his son is awesome too. Yeah. His son is great too. He's working <laughs> on his journalism career. He, He'll be like, hey, I got this guy you should talk to. And then we talked to him we're like, ah, man, this dude fucking rules. You know, and this is like at this point, anyone he sends me, I just see an email from Roy. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. You know, and and having you on and getting to listen to your music and like we really take it serious. And like I had sent Daryl the link to your music and I was like, hey, bro, here, here's the record for the gentleman, you know, like take a look at. It. And Daryl was like, all right, I'm going to switch over to this in like an hour. And when I know, I know Daryl that when he says like I'm going to switch over to this. He's, like, putting his – I mean, the man breaks down NFL film for a living, you know, and he's putting his, like, coach helmet on to listen to your music. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I can't wait to hear what he thinks. And um, you get a lot of people that I think just uh, give you lip service or whatever it is uh, just to kind of get you in and get you out. But we really – you know, we spend time on it and we and we listen to it and we tell, tell people how it is. I remember telling – uh, front of the pot, I didn't like the snare drum sound, you know. And it's like, oh, I'm being honest with you. I just don't like it, you know. But uh, everything else is great. But you know, it's just you got to be honest and uh, open, and and that's what that's what our.
2: To me, know, man, the coolest thing about this in particular is like, you know, it's convers. I like having conversations. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. You know what I mean. And it's it's so hard sometimes when you're doing something, and you I'm sure you guys have seen it a thousand times, where the guy's like,
1: "So, oh what's my gosh,
2: your color?" And you're oh. starting to answer, and they're already looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, well, the name of the band. Where did you get and you're just like oh. <laughs> what should I yeah. just want to talk to you, man? Let's talk. Yeah. What you know, your yeah. Favorite about the record, you know?
1: It's it's like it's like it's like that. It's it's the it's the look down or it's one of these where it's just like, so what where what uh when what what were you feeling when uh you were like they looking off to like a script that's in the upper right hand or yeah, yeah. lower left yeah. hand, and you're just like Come on, man. Let's just be. Let's just have a moment, man. I'm. I'm about stitching moments together. Fuck everything else, else. We, else. Like do this, we have? Right. You know what I mean? Like right. this. Like I'm in the now. Like you know, you got to be present right now. And I think honestly, like that's that's what we. That's that's what makes all the virtual shit more palatable when you can still connect with someone and have those moments. And you know what and, I mean.
0: And again, like, not to toot our own horn here, but like. Daryl and I at this point because of COVID and we reacted quickly and then I moved to fucking Texas. We've done more podcasts where this is episode 210. We've done more podcasts remotely than we've done in person by far. And it's right. like the only reason that works for us is because we just get on and we talk to each other and we yeah. and we speak to, you know, No, when it's a two way,
2: when it's a two way thing and you can go anywhere, you can say anything, you can go down different. You can let things kind of have a life. You know what I mean? Where I think sometimes uh, people try to force it to be something and everybody's different. You know, you don't know how I'm going to react to you guys. You guys don't know how I'm going to react to you. So yeah. you let these things happen, and maybe you go somewhere where you weren't expecting in the first place, but it's exactly. even better. You know, Absolutely. Is a perfect example. And now I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna force something because this is something
0: I'm curious about because I feel like we've washed your balls a plenty here. Uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> postcards from the asylum. They've never they've never been this fresh. I might say they have never <laughs> been they've never been cleaner. Um, postcards from the asylum everywhere this this Friday, April 14th. The link uh, to the to the Spotify page and the iTunes store and all that stuff. I'm going to put that in the show notes so everybody can just swipe up on their device and, and go right to the music. Thank um, you. Postcards from the Asylum this Friday. Now, one of the things that Daryl and I are very passionate about, and this I sent it to Daryl right before. I don't know that he got a chance to watch it, but the video is called Steven Seagal's Insane Guitar Solo. And I don't know if you know this, but are you aware that Steven Seagal is, in fact, a musician and
2: a songwriter? You know, I've I've spent my life, and I, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. My new, like, hobby of life improvement is to try to ignore clickbait things that keep coming across <laughs> my phone. Because the next thing I know, I've spent three hours, like, swiping up, and now I'm watching, like, Chuck Norris make pancakes. Right. Or try, like, whatever the hell. So I've seen the title, but in a great show of self-discipline, I have not watched <laughs> it.
0: All right. Listen, I'm going to cash in on any sort of respect that we've earned. Songs here.
1: from the Crystal Cave. Let's go.
0: In the last 57 <laughs> minutes of this this conversation, I want you to go and take 20 minutes of your leisurely time and okay. check out Steven Seagal's solo album, Songs from the Crystal Cave. There is some really good <laughs> shit on there, and it's and it's hilarious. And, and there's a video going around of him playing a guitar solo this last couple of days uh, from an old... Like concert that he did, and he's basically because they they superimpose it with <laughs> fucking superimpose. They they put they put a video of him talking about uh, how he's a serious guitar player and he's a lifelong musician, and he's playing this guitar solo where he's only playing two notes and like not he's just like bending a note, you know what I mean? And it's just and he's just really really digging it. And I'm having a moment. He's having a moment, and I love Steven Seagal's films but I think I love him even more as a musician. So I, I strongly suggest Is this going to be
1: on par
2: with like his Aikido demonstrations, where he's like going like this. And then guys are like flying across the room backwards. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll tell you this. He does uh, a reggae song in full Jamaican accent. You oh know,
1: my God. Uh, yeah.
0: You tell me. Okay. And he's so nothing, no, nothing,
2: nothing ironic about it.
0: It's more, it's the most authentic music that I've ever heard in my life. Uh, it's incredible. And I strongly urge anyone listening to this to do the same. Uh, songs from the Crystal Cave. Shout out to Steven Seagal. Hey, what was the
1: name of his energy drink that like he had the the <laughs> chicks in the pool and they oh, were like,
0: dude. Oh man, I forget. He had women in the energy. Yeah, drink. he had some short-lived uh, Japanese energy drink. It was like something about vitality, like you know, like makes makes you get girls pregnant and stuff. So um,
1: it was crazy. He's
0: he's he's the OG. Um, I just I just had this wonderful experience going to the, the drive-in theater. I'm assuming based off of your uh, you know your shrunken head and your sock monkey you've got to be a movie fan too yeah
2: yes yes i can't say uh i I'm, I'm familiar with the uh, steven skull's later works but some of his earlier works <laughs> i'm very with <funny. laughs>
0: well i saw i saw something uh in my in my uh research that was like uh, a saigon kick song featured in beyond the law and i saw i was like beyond, oh, yeah. i was like Fucking Beyond the Law, Steven Seagal, because I know the Beyond the Law with DMX, and it was right. like, nah, it's not that one. Nah, man. we were, we went
2: with Charlie Sheen,
0: right? Even, even more shout which out, which is another full legendary. circle, Michael,
2: Boom. Michael Douglas, right? Son of Michael Douglas. Not to mention the fact, and here we'll tie this all together nicely. I also had a song on a soundtrack that featured the great Brian Bosworth as a lead actor. The Boz
1: oh wow, the Boz
2: what was that movie? I can't even remember the name of the movie now. that's how big it was. uh the Boz was in a movie he was stand
1: in a movie.
2: by you gotta google that get on the Google box.
0: I didn't realize he had such a prolific acting career. My goodness, it was his big uh
2: it was like a I can't remember He was like a It was the typical, like, cop thing. Okay, Stone Stone Cold. Yeah. That was his big big break. Wow. And if you scroll
0: down to Obscure. I mean, he's uh, a handsome guy. He he had the, you know. Okay, hang on. So, music by Sylvester LeVay. Right. All right. All right, here we go. Production reception references. Where's the discography? Come on, I need the soundtrack for this.
2: I assure you Saigon Kick is one of the uh, contributing factors to that tour de force of a motion picture. Do you, do you have a copy of the soundtrack by any chance? I,
0: I don't have a copy of the soundtrack. I'm going to get a copy on eBay and send it to you. Yeah, thank you. I, pre- I don't even think they ever made it.
2: We're going to find out right now. I think it was one of those movies that everyone kind of slowly walked away from as soon as it came out. They, they just never got to the... Uh, never got to that status you thought it was going to get to. <laughs> Stone
0: Cold movie soundtrack. Let's see here. Let's see if, if we get a- And You're going to get the results. It's going to say Why? Okay, so there's several there's, there's several Stone Cold films, but it's a movie with Tom Sizemore, unfortunately. one. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's not that one. It's like, oh, you've seen Stone Cold with Tom Sizemore?
1: Nope. <laughs>
0: nope. And the only the thing I have it,
1: Coming Home performed by Saigon Kick. There you yeah. Go. Let's go. Let's go. You're probably still, yeah, getting, you're probably,
0: you're probably still getting royalties off that. I'm sure that's a oh, huge plan, huge plan on cable and in, in kids through college on the Brian Bosworth fund. Yeah, I bet. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. He's got, he's got quite the filmography. This is what a, what a guy good for him. I guess everybody's got their calling in life.
1: Dude, that's awesome.
0: What, uh, so, so what are your plans for promoting this album? Are you, are you going to do any touring? Are you going to do any shows? What's your, what's your plan?
2: I'm doing a bunch of shows that are not from this record with a good friend of mine named Jeff Scott Soto, who used to sing for Ingvae back in the day, sings for Trans Siberian Orchestra, right. uh, sings for Journey for a couple of years, um, and uh, we're doing the Monsters of Rock cruise, which is coming up with Extreme and Queensrÿche and Tesla and a couple of bands like that, and uh, then we're going around the country to some city wineries, doing this kind of gig, and then I'm looking at full band for this tour. Uh, towards the end of the year, beginning of next year, and then heading over to Europe as well, hopefully. So, Nick. Do you have a, you have a lineup in mind yet? Or are you working on that? I got to find out who needs to work. Yeah, and then bar- and then bargain my way from that point. You know, who who needs a job? Right. That's a, that's no. a good place to be in. I, I, I do have a d- bunch of guys that I don't want. And I, strangely, know you mentioned Devin. Devin worked with me on the last record. I love. Uh, he's he is my
0: as big a fan of various musicians as I am. He's like my number one wish on this podcast to have a conversation with is Devin Townsend. And I've, I've I've met a lot of greatest. people that are close to him, and I feel like at a some point it's going to just naturally occur, and it'll be a beautiful moment. I don't want to push it. I've met him several times as a fan, and just in passing at at Nam and stuff like that, and had like I, I remember we I bumped into him at Nam, and I was just. A normal person to him, you know? And he was like, You know, man, this is like really cool. I appreciate that you're just like talking to me like a person. And like, you're he's not, a great, you're not like a great dude, man. But like he was saying, like, people just like run up to me with their phone and like want to you know, and they're just, they treat me weird. It's like, You're just, we're just talking. This is cool. Um, so it's, I know, it's funny, you know, not, to, not
2: to name drop, but it's, it's, and it's on a whole different level. But uh, a buddy of mine is Stephen Gibb, who played in Black Label Society for a bit, but he's also Barry Gibb's son.
1: He loves Black Label Society. Time.
2: Um, so Stephen and his dad, being Barry Gibb, wound up doing some stuff at Saturday Night Live with Paul McCartney there. Holy shit! And so Stephen winds up meeting Paul McCartney. This whole you know, his dad has obviously been friends with him for years, but Stephen meets him, and like that's all Paul McCartney. Like if you come up to Paul McCartney with a phone and paper, it's like it's over. He Man. wants no part of it. Like not interested, not not rudely, but just like. But if you come up to him and want to have a conversation, and like speak. He's totally about it. Like just wants to have a real connection, not a selfie, not a, you know, not, not, you just, you know, and I just find it interesting when people are like that, like Devin's on a different level than Paul McCartney, obviously, but like is another one of those guys that wants to have a real connection, not just the kind of fake trophy Instagram thing.
0: Well, and I think that has a lot to do with how we perceive. (sighs) we're getting weird here, how you perceive social interaction. And there's, there's a strong external pressure to turn everything into a moment to capture on Instagram for your various dopamine shots of likes and retweets or whatever platform you're on. And you, if you start going down that path and everything becomes gamified per by photo and by moment and experience, I started to see that happening at Nam over the course of a couple of years where I'm just like no longer interested in going to be there because it's just too weird. And the,
2: and you the craziest have... societal thing I've seen recently, not to cut you off, but was like uh, a friend of mine runs sound front house for Justin Timberlake. So Justin Timberlake comes to uh, Charlotte and he goes, hey, you and your wife want to come out? Come out. I'm like, my wife's a fan. I'm like, of course we'll go out. So he hooks us up with these like insane VIP seats and the way the stage was set up, it was like, it had a ramp out into the middle of the arena and there was a bar all along the arena with bartenders in it, like just serving the VIP floor area of the thing. I was like, and these women were paying like 2,500 bucks a ticket. Justin Timberlake is singing like two feet in front of them, like this kind of contact. And they are turned around with their phone yeah. to get a shot of them Bizarre. with him in the background. And I'm like, you just spend all this money. The guy is right there singing. Like, right there. The moment. Right there. You know, enjoy it. And it's like people just want that trophy. Like you said, they want that instant. It's not about that. It's about my friend saw me next to Justin Timberlake.
0: Right. And as opposed to being like, you know, I bumped into, like, I have a friend that, that bumped into Bruce Springsteen at a bar in Asbury Park. And like from where I grew up, like everybody loves Bruce, you know. And yeah. and it's like he's like, dude, I was just like, holy shit, Bruce Springsteen just sat next to me in a bar, and it was like, I didn't know what to do. I just started talking to him, and he was cool as fuck. And that was it. I was like, you didn't get a. He's like, I didn't get a picture. I didn't. Do, I was like, I just wanted to have a moment with Bruce Springsteen. And then like, sure enough, somebody else had caught a picture of of him with in the background or whatever. But. <laughs> It was just like, yeah, I had a shot of tequila with Bruce Springsteen. It was cool, you know. Like, but that's, that isn't that isn't that way better, better to have that? Yes, I mean, way, have better.
1: That? way better, 100%. 100%. way better,
2: way better,
0: crazy. There's a I'm not going to name any names, but there's a, a very famous guitar player we've had on the on the podcast that at one point I was at a bar with them and they pulled out their phone and I saw the size of the text on their texts, you know, and I thought, ah, you are a human, you know what I mean? Like it was like. <laughs> So, like, you know, like sometimes I have these little experiences where I'm like, oh, okay, you're just a guy too. You know, you, you're you like my dad. Yeah. You, you need the text big as well. it's, it's nothing wrong with that. You know, <laughs> nothing
2: wrong with that. Yeah, I'm lucky. I can see everything close still, but I can't see anything more than 10 feet away. So people think I'm being standoffish.
0: Everything looks them? like
2: a filter. Everything looks like a filter to me. Like if you're, if you're outside of like 10 feet, I'm like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like, I don't know if that's a human or graffiti. Like yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't like, know what that is. Like <laughs> It's
0: either waving waving at me or giving me the finger. I'm not sure. It's it's a fine line between
2: those two things.
1: Yeah. That's
0: awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Jason, I'm going to be keeping an eye out. uh, you know, I'm hoping you, you come through the the Dallas, Dallas Metro area. Uh, so I could, I, I can see the band, um, postcards from the asylum everywhere this Friday, April 14th. Um, again, love, love the music. It's unique. It's authentic to you. Um, I got nothing else to say to it about, other than go on and get your get your fucking downloads going. Go people get like, it right you, now. You won't be you won't be disappointed. Um, Jason, what's the best way for people to keep up with you and you know if they're if they're interested and they want to find out about tours and stuff? How
2: how should they keep up? with The you? the best way that we were just talking about is if you can just randomly come up to me with your camera out and grab it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I'm on I'm Jason Beeler on all the social media stuff. Uh, I'm not on TikTok because I couldn't come up with a dance. <laughs> uh Twitter Especially and here. Instagram and uh, and Facebook and all that kind of stuff and uh yeah other than that man I, I can't thank you guys enough I mean I, you know, I, this is one of the good ones I, I've enjoyed this one uh, a lot uh, of them you know uh, a, a lot of them you start to go like uh <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> oh my internet's breaking my internet's going wonky I'm sorry like, uh, right, gotta... oh, wait uh, get... what. I've
0: got diarrhea. I've got to go. We'll have to reschedule. Them. Yeah. No. I again, man. We 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 appreciate it as well. And I have a feeling we're going to have you back on and just just to talk shit. Um, Hell yeah. It's been an absolute Love pleasure. To. And uh, we'll catch you down the road again. Postcards from the asylum everywhere. Music is available this Friday, April fourteenth. Uh, we'll catch y'all. We'll catch y'all soon.
2: Thank you very
1: much. Yeah.